chapter 17, Revelation. We're going to cover four verses today. Woo! Okay, so just by way of introduction, in previous weeks, if you've been with us all along, uh, we've been introduced to a number of significant uh, individuals, you might say. The enormous red dragon in Revelation 12.3, that of course was the devil, Satan, Lucifer. And then in Revelation 13, the very next chapter, verse 1, we were introduced to the beast, also known as the Antichrist. Uh, also in Revelation 13, verse 11, we met another beast, the false prophet, the leader of the one world religion. And now we're going to meet yet another fascinating individual, the great prostitute or the great harlot. And in this case, that is speaking of the harlot church, the woman who rides upon the scarlet beast, also known as Babylon. And I would say that today, in our world, in our society, harlotry, if you will, is actually becoming all the rage. Where once it was frowned upon, looked down upon, we see, uh, in the physical realm, we see more and more push for legalized prostitution and legitimizing of that profession. You got shows, you know, these reality shows like Desperate Housewives and you got artists like Katy Perry and Miley Cyrus, Lady Gaga, presenting a very pornographic role model for young girls. Very interestingly, in recent years, we've seen women and girls wearing underwear as outerwear. I think that has the uh, tinge of harlotry to it. Internet porn. We already had the scourge of pornography. I remember when I was... A little guy, I found one of those magazines and my aunt and uncle lived right next door to us for a brief period of time. And he had one of those magazines, I found it. And of course it's been polluting and corrupting the hearts and minds of young and old for quite a long time. But now we even have it on the internet. And you know, it's interesting because uh, in light of all this, it's so much, like so much for women's live, right? Women allowing themselves to be sold off as sex objects and then turning around and complaining about the Me Too movement and so forth and ladies if you don't want to be objectified then don't make yourself an object hello and even the church today I would say is prostituting itself in order to get more attendees and as we talk about you know hey let's work together build up our youth group build up our young adult group our Sunday school I'm not willing to prostitute our church in order to do that, okay? I'm not going to use gimmicks. I'm not going to use all kinds of gimmicks and worldly methods. The church today is prostituting itself in order to get more members. How are they doing that? How's the church? Do when I say the church, you know, the church at large, the church in general, how is the church prostituting itself today by accepting and embracing homosexuality Gay marriage, gay ordination, ordaining men and women to, as pastors and priests that are gay, LGBTQ. Removing words like blood and sin and hell from their vocabulary. Oh, we don't use those words here. It's too offensive. Too offensive to talk about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. 
We talked a few years ago about how there were some churches that were having these beer Bible studies. Seeker-friendly services, emergent church. And so we live in an age of harlotry, I would say. And this, now we're going to meet the great harlot, the great prostitute. And in ancient times, these idolatrous false religions had temple prostitutes. That's a pretty big drawing card. Male and female, by the way. Imagine how full the churches will be when they reinstitute the temple prostitutes. And by the way, you probably already know this, but the purpose of the temple prostitutes was to have sex with the congregation as part of their worship service. Back in the 60s and 70s, the children of God emerged. David Berg, he was a congregational minister, I believe. He called himself Moses David. You've heard me talk about this before, some of you. The children of God used the same methodology. They, they taught the young people that they brought into the cult, supposed to be Christians. There's a number of famous people who were part of children of God, Joaquin Phoenix, the whole Phoenix family, River Phoenix, who died of a drug overdose. Most of the people who grew up in that movement are totally messed up now. But they would teach their young people to have sex in order to bring other young people into the movement. They said they taught them that they were showing them the love of God by doing that. But probably just a preview of coming attractions. Now, before we get into the body of the message, I would like to read... It's not real long, but it's a little bit long. Uh, um, an excerpt from the um, Bible Knowledge Commentary because it gives us some real good insight into the significance of literal and symbolic Babylon. And I quote, The Bible is full of information about Babylon as the source of false religion. The record beginning with the building of the Tower of Babel, Babylon, Genesis 10 and 11. The name Babel suggests confusion, Genesis 11:9. Later, the name was applied to the city of Babylon, which itself has a long history dating back to as early as 3,000 years before Christ. One of its famous rulers was Hammurabi, 1728 B.C. to 1686 B.C. After a period of decline, Babylon again rose to great heights under Nebuchadnezzar about 600 years before Christ. Nebuchadnezzar's reign, 605 to 562 B.C., and the subsequent history of Babylon is the background of the book of Daniel. Babylon was important not only politically but also religiously. Nimrod, who founded Babylon, Genesis 10, 8 through 12, had a wife known as Semiramis, who founded the secret religious rites of the Babylonian mysteries according to accounts outside the Bible. Semiramis had a son with an alleged miraculous conception, as in like virgin birth, who was given the name Tammuz, and in effect was a false fulfillment of the promise of the seed of the woman given to Eve in Genesis 3.15. Various religious practices were observed in connection with this false Babylonian religion, including recognition of the mother and child as God, and of creating an order of virgins who became religious prostitutes. Tammuz, according to the tradition, was killed by a wild animal and then restored to life. 
We learned recently that the Antichrist is going to have a counterfeit resurrection, did we not? A satanic anticipation and counterfeit of Christ's resurrection. Scripture condemns this false religion repeatedly. Jeremiah 7.18, Jeremiah 44.17-19 and 25, Ezekiel 8.14. The worship of Baal, Baal, we call him Baal, but really the proper pronunciation is Baal. It's just a little harder to say. The worship of Baal is related to the worship of Tammuz. And I've pointed out myself in the past how if you look at all the various cult groups, you see common denominators woven through all these false belief systems and cults. Why is that? Because they're all authored by the same person, Satan. Just like our Bible has been authored by God, and so there's a continuous thread through the Bible. Everything ties together. Everything connects. We've said over and over again, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. You see the same thread through all these satanic, luciferian belief systems because he's the author of all of it. After the Persians took over Babylon in 539 BC, they discouraged the continuation of the mystery religions of Babylon. Persia is modern-day Iran. Subsequently, the Babylonian cultists moved to Pergamum or Pergamos where one of the seven churches of Asia Minor was located, Revelation 2, 12-17. Crowns in the shape of a fish head were worn by the chief priests. Now that's the kind of guy you really want to get behind. <laughs> Big old <laughs> fish head. <laughs> Crowns in the shape of a fish head were worn by the chief priests of the Babylonian cult to honor the fish god. The crowns bore the words, Keeper of the Bridge, symbolic of the bridge between man and Satan. This handle was adopted by the Roman emperors who used the Latin title Pontifex Maximus, which means Major Keeper of the Bridge. And the same title was later used by the Bishop of Rome. The Pope today is often called the Pontiff. This is again from the, the Bible Knowledge Commentary. So don't get mad at me, I'm just quoting. The same title was later used by the Bishop of Rome. The Pope today is often called the Pontiff, which comes from Pontifex, bridge builder. When the teachers of the Babylonian mystery religions later moved from Pergamum to Rome, they were influential in paganizing Christianity and were the source of many so-called religious rites which have crept into ritualistic churches. Babylon then is the symbol of apostasy and blasphemous substitution of idol worship for the worship of God in Christ. In this passage, Babylon comes to its final judgment. So that's some info from the Bible Knowledge Commentary on Babylon. Let's pray. Father God, we lift up this time in your word. We thank you. Your word is amazing. It's awesome. It's supernatural. It's powerful. We ask you to bless the study of your word today, Lord. Impart to us those tidbits of information, knowledge, and truth that you would like to impart to us today. We Open our hearts and minds now to receive from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we got one of the seven angels here. Verse 1, who had the seven bowls, came and talked with me, John, the apostle, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. So this, one of the seven angels, is a reference to one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls 
in chapter 16. So this indicates this is a continuation of what we started in chapter 16. One of the angels comes to John, says, uh, come and talk with me, and said, I will show you the punishment of the great harlot. So here Babylon is referred to as a prostitute. The King James Version, as well as the New Revised Standard Version, uses the word whore. This great whore is the symbol for the false religious system of Babylon. Question, who is going to destroy her? As we'll see later on, it's actually the beast himself who will destroy her. The Antichrist and the false prophet won't want her around after she served their purpose. Throughout the Bible, unfaithfulness to God is associated with adultery, hence the tie-in with the, the whore, the prostitute. Throughout the Bible, unfaithfulness to God is, a, is called spiritual adultery. So how convenient that we now live in a world that views adultery as altogether acceptable and even desirable. Have you noticed that? It, uh, you see it in the TV, the movies, various places, books. This idea that there's something tantalizing and titillating and especially desirable about committing adultery. It's more exciting than just a normal relationship, if you will. We live in that day and age. Mark 8:38. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words. Now this is 2,000 years ago, Jesus talking. In this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You know, I think sometimes people think when Jesus came, Israel was this amazing super spiritual place. It wasn't at all. For the most part, Israel, at the time Christ appeared, was in a state of apostasy. That's why there were plenty of sinners around to get saved. And Jesus, 2,000 years ago, called his generation an adulterous generation because they were replacing worship of God with the worship of other things. James 4.4, 4, adulterers and adulteresses. Bam! Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Man, this is a big challenge that we all face today. There are so many things about this world that, that seem so desirable, so enticing. Man, you just look in every direction. We talked about the whole sports thing. And for many people, their gods, their idols are these famous sports figures who for the most part are not very good role models, I gotta say. But it could be the entertainment industry, music, actors, musicians, politicians, wealthy, techno, elite, worshiping a Bill Gates or a Mark Zuckerberg or what have you, Jack Dorsey from Twitter, well, James lays it out there. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity, makes you an enemy of God? You're at war with God. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And sadly, many people are trying to walk the line, aren't they? We used to say it this way, one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God. That doesn't work. Eventually, you're going to go fall on one side or the other. And if you wind up falling on one side or the other, I can pretty much guarantee you it's not going to be on the God side. You need to get off the fence, off the line, and stand firmly in Christ's camp. 
We also have met in the book of Revelation four women. Number one, Jezebel, symbolizing apostasy creeping into the church in chapter 2, verse 20. We saw Israel depicted as the woman with the 12 stars representing the 12 tribes of Israel in chapter 12, verse 1. And now we have the harlot, the final apostate world system, world religion, chapter 17. And then the good news, in chapter 19, verse 7, we have the bride of Christ. That's the lady we want to identify with. We're told here that this great whore, this great harlot or prostitute, sits on many waters. Verse 15, which we won't get to today, but we'll read it because it tells us what these waters are. Revelation 17, 15. Then he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And so in the Bible, often we saw in uh, chapter 13 how the beast rose up out of the sea. This is the sea of humanity. So often in the Bible, these waters represent peoples. And that's exactly what the angel tells John here. The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Now, we know that the government of the beast, the Antichrist, is going to be universal and worldwide. And so the harlot will be in cahoots with him. She sits on or over the nations of the world, drawing all the people of the earth into spiritual adultery. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but people are oftentimes much more ready, willing, and able to embrace a false belief system than to embrace the true belief system. Have you noticed that? They'll go for the occult. They'll go for witchcraft. They'll go for any number of things. You know, transcendental meditation, yoga, which is actually a religion. One of the biggest deceptions that's been foisted upon the populace today is that yoga is about breathing and relaxation at its roots at its core it is a religion and it's not the religion God's religion but people are often much more willing to embrace the lie than they are to embrace the truth so especially once all the Christians have been removed from the planet in the rapture it's going to be a piece of cake to suck the rest of the world into this adulterous false Worship. Verse 2. Woo! <laughs> With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So the rulers of the ten sectors, we've talked about this. This is a game plan. It's already been laid out. You know, no more independent sovereign nations, but we'll have ten Kind of like Hunger Games. How many of you saw Hunger Games? A lot of these movies have a very prophetic tinge to them, let me tell you. There will be ten sectors. And these world leaders, these world rulers over these ten sectors, under the ultimate authority of the beast, the Antichrist, will be, quote, in bed with the one world religion. An unholy alliance between church and state. Don't we hear that all the time? Separation of church and state. You know, all that, that's not a law. Did you know that? Thomas Jefferson wrote a private letter referring to the fact that the state, the government, 
has no right to interfere with the church. Do you know what that's what it's about? Did you know that? And they flipped it. Instead of understanding, realizing, and promoting the fact that Jefferson was speaking, was never made a law, but he was speaking about the fact that the government has no right to interfere with the affairs of the church. But what do they tell you today? Oh no, you can't do that. You can't pray in school. You can't read your Bible in school. You can't bring your Bible to work and put it on your desk. Separation of church and state. But during the tribulation, there will not be any separation of church and state because it'll be a one-world, Luciferian, satanic, idolatrous, blasphemous, Babylonian worship system, and everybody's going to be in. We're already seeing, folks, the beginning of it. You realize the whole abortion industry is nothing more than infant sacrifice? It's just a carryover from ancient pagan Canaan where they would sacrifice their children to the god Molech and so forth. They have a giant statue with arms like this and they would heat that thing up so hot when they put the baby on there it would just incinerate it. The Babylonian harlot is already emerging in our world today. You've heard that expression, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And the blending of the worldwide economic, political, and religious power will be absolutely intoxicating. The inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. If you've ever asked yourself the question, and I'm pretty sure you have, why do some of these people in powerful places, powerful positions, do the things they do? Because it's intoxicating. Once you get a taste of power, influence, money, it's intoxicating. It's like a drug. It feels good, and so you want more and more and more. And we all know that people who are involved with drug addiction, alcohol addiction, they do things that display a complete lack of concern for the welfare of those around them, right? Because they're addicted. And so they lose all sense of morality, what they're doing, how it harms those around them. They're, they're just so drunk on whatever it is they're drunk on that they don't care anymore. The inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication, her adulteries. And we've heard about this before. Chapter 14, verse 8, another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen, Babylon is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, her adulteries. And just to draw a parallel with the physical world, the Bible is very clear about the results of intoxication with wine. Proverbs 20, verse 1, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Proverbs 23, 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? It's describing all the things that happen to somebody who gets drunk and they're stumbling around and don't know where they are, they get injured, redness of eyes, those who linger long at the wine, 
Those who go in search of mixed wine, do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, that enticement, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or like one who lies on the top of the mast saying, They have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? And so that's a physical description, but it, it ties over into the impact that this one world harlot religion will have on the earth. People love, like I said, anything but the truth, the ritual, the visual effects, you know. Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So the contrast, but to be filled with the Spirit actually means you are controlled by the Spirit of God. You have willingly given control of your life over to the Holy Spirit. You said, God, you be in charge. Holy Spirit, lead me, guide me. Whereas when we get drunk with wine, we give control of ourselves over to that intoxication. In the NIV it says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Debauchery, folks, means extreme indulgence of one's appetites. And so this one world harlot church, there's already like, in Denver there's a church where their sacrament is marijuana. Where we take communion, we take the cup, we take the bread, they toke. They smoke. Holy smoke. It's real. Look it up. I forget the name of the church, but that's their sacrament. And I'm sure they're not the only one. There's probably others around just like that. And so that's what this will be like, this harlot church. You can come in and indulge any appetite of the flesh you would like. It's an abomination. It's kind of like when Moses went up on the mountaintop to get the Ten Commandments and the people are down below having an orgy. They built a golden calf. They're dancing around naked. Only the whole world will be involved in this. And right now, by the way, I was talking to my good friend Hugh who's up in Colorado right now. He's living in Arizona, but he's spending some time up there this month. And you all know that several years ago they legalized marijuana in Colorado, right? And it starts to be legal here in January of next year. Well, Colorado has taught, I moved there in 1977, I think it was. So conservative, so laid back. I'm, I was from California, man. Everybody's going down the freeway like 55, it's chill. And I, I want to go fast. I'm from California. But now it's totally flipped. Instead of being this laid back, nice, heavily Christian influenced state, Colorado is totally flipped. It's become another liberal state with legalized marijuana, people stoned out everywhere. And you know what? That's exactly what the government wants. They want you stoned out so they can control you. And now it's coming to New Mexico. They want you on antidepressants, antipsychotics, marijuana, anything and everything they can get you on so that you're so whacked out they can get you to do anything they want. This is all by design, folks. All by design. So I want to encourage you guys. 
When something's illegal, it is a deterrent. I know so you can't legislate morality. I've even said that myself. But for certain individuals who still have a respect and a fear of the law, how many of those there are now, I don't know. There's still a percentage of people in the population that when something's illegal, they don't do it. But now there's going to be a great temptation for believers. Well, it's legal now, right? Start guarding your heart and your mind. Start preparing because there will be temptation because it'll be legal. Oh, but a little bit won't hurt. Isn't that how it always starts? If you want to talk about the physical relationship between a guy and a girl, a man and a woman, it always starts out, you know, let's hold hands, let's cuddle, let's kiss a little. Rarely does it stop there, am I correct? So maybe it just starts with a little, you know, pot here, a little pot there. Here, there, here a pot, there a pot, everywhere a pot, pot. Oh, but it's for medicinal purposes. Didn't Grandma say that about the bottle of whiskey she had in the cabinet? It's for medicinal purposes. Well, you know, in times past, that really was true because there weren't a lot of modern medicines. Sometimes the only painkiller they had before they amputated your leg was a shot of whiskey. But we're head headed in that direction, folks. We're headed towards Babylon. Babylon is already emerging. It's already upon us, but it'll reach full strength during the tribulation. The people of the earth who drink the wine of the adulteries of the great harlot will become intoxicated, debauched, and controlled by this man-made, satanically inspired, self-serving religion. Verse 3. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of names of blasphemy having seven heads and ten horns. Some have suggested that this idea of the angel carrying John the apostle in the spirit into the wilderness or the desert if you will may be symbolic for the horrible conditions of the world under the rule of Antichrist and the influence of the harlot. It's a spiritual desert, a wasteland. He says, I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. The woman is the harlot church, and the scarlet beast, think red dragon from Revelation 12, is the Antichrist. The Antichrist will be personally indwelt by Satan, so when we talk about them here in Revelation, they're pretty much interchangeable. The scarlet beast is the satanically filled Antichrist. She rides into power on the back of the Antichrist and through his false prophet, the second beast, brings the whole world under her sway and influence. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of names of blasphemy having seven heads and ten horns. This confirms absolutely that the scarlet beast is the Antichrist. Revelation 12:3, another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. That's Satan. 
Chapter 13, verse 1, Then I stood on the sand of the sea. I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. So it all ties in together. Satan, the Antichrist, the harlot, the great prostitute, they're all in cahoots. Verse 4, The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. You know, the Bible says Satan masquerades himself as an angel of light. And so th there will be physical beauty, attractiveness to this whole thing. She's arrayed in purple scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. Now, you probably already know this, but the European Union, the EU, has statues and coinage and various things with the image of the goddess Europa. How many of you have seen that? Not very many. Do you know what the goddess Europa looks like? She's dressed in purple and scarlet. She holds a golden cup and she rides a bull or a beast. Look it up. Look it up. You go over to Europe. In the European Union, they have, they have coins with Europa on them. They have statues. They've got this very image, folks, right now. The woman riding the beast with a golden cup in her hand. The Bible's pretty accurate, isn't it? Her clothing is similar to that of the religious decorations of ritualistic churches and their priests today. Purple, scarlet, gold, precious stones, and pearls are all spoken of in the Bible in relation to the beauty and glory of God's kingdom, heaven, the new Jerusalem, etc. But here they represent false religion that prostitutes the truth. You might say she is dressed like a queen. We mentioned, I believe, earlier Semiramis, the wife of Nimrod, who bore the offspring Tammuz. Really, did you realize that Semiramis was actually called the Queen of Heaven? And so it's, you know, there's been much speculation about around which belief system this end times one world Babylonian worship system will coalesce. And I'll leave you to your own thoughts on that and your own speculations. So she has in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. So this is the evil opposite of the cup of our Lord, the communion cup. It's a satanic communion, if you will, of abominable, filthy things that she leads the people of the earth to indulge in. And I decided this would be our cutoff point today, so we'll have to wait till next week to learn more about the great harlot. Let's stand. Let's bow our heads for a moment. If you need prayer this morning, I'd like to ask you to raise your hand. What if it's for you or someone else? That's okay too. Raise your hands. I see lots of them. Father God, I lift each of one up to you now. Lord, do you know each person? I may not even know every one of them, but you do. You know what their needs are today. You know what their concerns are today. You know what their, their hopes, their worries, their fears, their doubts. And I do pray in Jesus' name that you would remove from each one all worry, all fear, all doubts, all anxiety, all stress,
Lord, we need to yield all these things up to you because you've promised us peace that passes all understanding. And I pray that for each one here today, right now. Lord, your word says if we would not be anxious for anything, but to give everything over to you in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, that you would give us that peace that passes all understanding to guard our hearts and our minds. Father, I pray for each one right now that you'd give them that peace that passes all understanding. But Lord, we do lift up to you health concerns. We pray for healing. Lord, for eye trouble, for cancer, for diabetes, for heart disease, for aches and pains, arthritis, allergies. Lord, you made us. And your, your word says we are fearfully and wonderfully made, but we live in a world that is cursed by sin. And so we do have these health problems. We lift them up to you now. We pray for healing. We pray for comfort. We pray for strength. We pray for relief. But Lord, just like Job... We're going to proclaim here today that no matter what, even though he slay me, yet will I praise him. Father, we beseech you for healing, but even if we don't get healed, we're still going to worship you. We're still going to praise you. We're still going to follow you no matter what. Well, we do pray for your grace, your love, your mercy to be poured out upon those this morning that need a touch in their physical bodies. We pray for healing of relationships, Lord, for broken relationships and troubled relationships, whether it be a marriage, a friendship, someone that at the office that we work with, in the school, wherever it might be, we pray that you would heal those relationships that have been broken. We know that Satan comes but to steal, to kill, to destroy, but you've come that we might have life and life more abundantly. We ask you to heal relationships today. We pray for financial provision, Lord, for those who are struggling in that area, for those who need a job that you'd provide one, a good one, for those who are running short on finances, Lord. You are our provider. No matter where the paycheck comes from, you are our provider. We thank you for that, and we pray for wisdom on how to properly manage our finances so we don't get into trouble. But Lord, for those who are in trouble, we again pray for grace, for mercy, for help, for strength. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness. Finally, Lord, I pray for anyone here today that is struggling in their relationship with you. Maybe they're doubting. Maybe they're uncertain. They don't even know for sure if they know you, that they're born again. Lord, your Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us so that we can know that we know that we know. And I pray that right now for anyone here today, not sure of where they stand with you, Lord, that you would help them right now. Give them the gift of faith, the gift of repentance. Give them the ability to open up their heart and mind and to receive you as their Lord and Savior. We thank you for the precious promise that those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Thank you more than anything else, Father. We thank you for the precious gift of salvation and eternal life through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now we ask, Lord, that you receive our final offering of praise this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.